Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. It's good to have you all here with us today. It's good to be be in the house of God. Any amens on that one right there? I'm I'm with you, man. I'm with you on that one. Uh, We've already had two services this morning, and I can't wait till we get fully back to normal. I know some of you, many of you at home, you, it's hard for you to get here. You can't bring your kids. We can't have kids church yet. And I know some of you are older like me. You're a little bit leery still. And so um, just keep praying that we get back to normal. Amen, everybody, on that one? And keep praying for our country. Today we're going to talk about uh, the actual last call within our series, The Last Call. It's on the end times. And I want to begin by telling you a story <clears throat> that how many of you are, first with a question, how many of you are... You've been in Corona a long, long time, or Norco, you've been in, I mean, decades. You've been, just raise your hand. Okay, that just means you're old. That's all we got to say right now. No, you've been, I'm, I'm a lifelong Corona resident. I'm born, raised Corona. I actually live about a mile and a half, two miles from where I was born. I've really traveled a long ways. And so, but when I was a kid growing up in Corona, there was something that took place because back in the 60s, I was in elementary school, and uh, we were under the fear due to the threat of Russia launching an atomic bomb at different parts of America. And, and it was a scary thing. That's why people were building bomb shelters. I don't know if anybody remembers those things. But in Corona, uh, where the police station used to be, used to be on the corner of Buena Vista and 6th Street, that was about a block and a half from where I grew up. They set up a, a whistle, and it was just not just a beep. No, it was a, huge, and it was loud. And Corona was about fifteen to 20,000 people at that time, and you could hear this whistle when it went off. You could hear it anywhere in the city because there was no South Corona. It was just all orange groves. That's what it was back then. How many remember when you could smell the orange blossoms in springtime in Corona, wherever you were at? That was such a cool thing back then. But it was so loud. And what it was to let you know that if Russia did launch an atomic bomb into the area, in like the Corona or Southern California area, that whistle went off to warn you that the atomic bomb was on its way. And when I was younger, you know, it scares you. But when I was older, I thought, what did it really matter? Why would I want to know if an atomic bomb is coming? That would make it worse, right, man? Because I can't get away. I can't run. It's like, just don't let me know. Just let me die in a moment, okay? But don't tell me. But that was a loud, loud sound to warn us about something big that was about to happen. I want you to hold that thought right there because I want to talk to you when I get to point one about a loud sound and about something big that's going to happen with the loud sound, and that is the rapture of the church. And if you don't know what the rapture is, we'll explain it as we go because we're talking about that today. Our key verse for the series is this, Math, uh, Romans eleven twenty-five and 26 eight. I'm going to ask you to say it in your masks out loud. Here we go. One, two, three. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So all Israel will be saved. That's an interesting statement. Zechariah gives us more definition on that, all Israel will be saved. We'll talk about that in weeks to come. 
But the whole idea of that verse is there's a fullness of the Gentiles, and I tell you this every week. There will come a moment in time when the very last Christian in what we live in now, which is the church age, the very last person, I should say, puts their faith in Jesus Christ and becomes a Christian. Whoever they are, wherever they are, whether they're in my lifetime or in my kids' or grandkids' lifetime, and we know from last week, looking at Jesus and his statements, that we are right there accelerating quickly towards the rapture of the church. And, um, but there will come a moment when that very last person puts their faith in Christ in the fullness of the Gentile. It's over. The Gentile age church is over. They will be raptured from planet earth. And then God, in the last seven years, which we call the tribulation in scripture, that will be where the Jews now begin to evangelize the world again for God. So that's in a nutshell what that verse means. Our tagline is this. It's, it's a call you don't want to miss. I'll count to three, then you say it. One, two, three. It's a call you don't want to miss. And we're talking about specifically the rapture, but we're also talking about if it's not in our lifetime, you just don't want to miss Jesus Christ. Any amens on that one? You don't want to miss that last call. You don't want to miss when God is calling you. He may be calling you today to put your faith in Him. Now, I want to begin where I left off last Sunday and put that verse on the screen. Last Sunday, we looked at what Matthew said Jesus said. Now we're going to look at what Luke, as he interviewed people to find out all about Jesus' life. and how Luke puts it out there is the same way, but he adds one more thing. So I'm going to read verse 34, 35, and 36 of Luke 17. This is, these are rapture verses. Watch. I tell you, these are Jesus' words. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Now, you have two people in bed. It's nighttime, middle of the night. You have two people at the grinding away. That's morning. You have two people out there in the field. That's probably afternoon. But what Jesus is saying is, look, there's going to come this moment where the, let's say one person's a saved person, the other one isn't, and they're married, and they're lying in bed. The saved person, the born-again person, they're gone. They're taken. The unsaved person stays behind. And that will happen all over the world at some point in time. People will be driving cars, they'll disappear. Possibly people flying airlines, the pilots may be disappear if they were saved. It's going to be really chaos and crazy when it happens. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When I read stuff like this, and I've been, this August I'll be a Christian 41 years. I've been preaching over 39 years. So I've been studying this thing for a long time, but it always still sounds to me so like Hollywood sci-fi when I talk about the rapture. It almost sounds like, come on, man, this, this can't be real. But all I have to do is look at the rest of Scripture. I can go to the Old Testament. We call it that. It's the Jewish Bible, the, Jewish, the Hebrew Scriptures. And we find a guy by the name of Enoch. It says Enoch was, he walked with God. He was, was not, for God took him. In other words, he vanished. God just took him. 
We find Elijah over in 1 Kings. He's there, and then he's taken up in a chariot of fire. He's gone. All we have to do is look at Jesus on the day of ascension. He's there, then he ascends into heaven. He's raptured. He's gone. We think about Paul. Paul was stoned to death, and he gets to visit heaven, and then God sends him back. He's raptured, and he comes back. Brings life back into his body. There are 144,000 Jewish men who, in the tribulation period, they will evangelize the world after the rapture. In Revelation 7, we see their first appearance. In Revelation chapter 14, we see their disappearance. They end up, all of a sudden, they're in heaven. They're all raptured because the Antichrist and his forces cannot kill them because they have the mark of God upon their bodies. And they cannot be hurt and they cannot be harmed. And all of a sudden they're raptured. So as Hollywood sci-fi as it sounds to me in my head, I see in Scripture there's a very big consistency of this rapture. And so you can probably bank on God's Word, and I believe all of God's Word is true. I know some people will say, well, I don't believe some parts. And I always like to ask, which parts do you say aren't true? And what's your evidence for them not being true? And what scholarly school did you go to to find that out? But see, we just say that so we can just say, well, I want to follow this, but I don't want to follow that. You either believe it all or just don't believe it. Revelation says he who adds to this or takes away from this is accursed. Don't be doing that. Take it all. And if you think it was written by men, you're absolutely right. But it was inspired by God, was it not? You know, and if you're a person here who's not a Christian, you say, well, you know, I don't know if I believe that. Listen, friend. You read things all day long that you don't really believe are absolutely true. And so why don't you read the Bible and find out how to, even if you never become a Christian, find out how Jesus lived and just live like that. It just makes more sense. It's just a great way to live. So we're going to talk about this rapture today, the disappearance of the believers at some point in time. And I'm going to give you four things this morning. If you take notes, I hope you do. It'll help you along as you share faith at times as we hurdle toward the end. Number one in your notes, and that's this. <clears throat> Only followers of Christ are going, are going. Only followers of Christ are going. Now, if you have your Bible or your app, it'll be on the screen too, but I hope you bring Bibles or your app. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, in your notes, if you have them, it's, um, I stated that it only has verse 16, 17. I backed it up to verse 13 because there's just too much that I needed to say to clarify something that when you get into verse 16, so it makes sense to you. So I backed up to verse 13. Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica and he's writing and answering a certain question in this section that they had about what about Christians who have already died? Are they going to miss this marvelous event called the rapture? So Paul in verse 13 now begins to answer that question. And if you're new to church, understand that Paul, the writer of this book and 13 others, he once uh, was a hater of Christians his job was to murder Christians. Jim, you say that all the time. I want to make sure people know that there are people that change. And this man was a scholar. I mean, he's brilliant, highly educated. And so he has an experience with the risen Jesus, and his life changes, and he begins to be a follower of Christ. And he writes 13, maybe 14 New Testament letters, and he plants churches all over the Mediterranean. Here's what he says in response to their question. Verse 13 of chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, don't be ignorant. you got to know this stuff, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Now, 
When he says those who are asleep, he's talking about Christians who have now passed away and died, maybe martyred, maybe just died of you know, natural causes. But he says death for the believer is sleep. Now, why would he say that? Because in the early church, the early Christians are the ones who gave the name cemetery to cemeteries. The word cemetery simply means dormitory or sleeping place. So they looked at the death of a believer as just not the end, but it's, a, it's like a resting time. You've entered into eternal rest. It's not end, and it's not over. And that's how they would call themselves. In fact, Jesus said that about Lazarus when they said Lazarus is going to die. He says, no, he's only asleep. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died, now stop right there, because Jim, now you say Christians are called, they're asleep when they die, but now he says Jesus died. Why would he transfer over to Jesus died? Well, because he wants to stay in accordance with the early creed, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead according to the scriptures. That's an early creed that they had. You find that in 1 Corinthians 15. That is one of the evidences that Paul was in touch with Christians early on after the resurrection. But Jesus died. They want to make sure we know that he was brutalized, he was tortured, he was killed for our sins. So they make distinction there, the early church does. And he rose again. Even so God will bring, here's the key, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, now he's telling you when a Christian dies, where they're at, they're with God. And God, Jesus, is going to bring them back in the rapture when Jesus comes back on the cloud. They're already there with him. That's key, as you're going to see in verse 16, because people get confused on this issue. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive... And remain will be until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, we're not going to heaven before the Christians who have already died. They're going there first. And here's where the confusion comes in. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, people will tell you, listen close to me. Somebody's going to say, see, the dead in Christ rise when Jesus comes back on the clouds in the rapture, that they've been sitting, and they'll use the term soul sleep, that somehow when a Christian dies, they somehow stay in the body or in the ground, and they're asleep, their soul is asleep until the time of the rapture. That's a bunch of hogwash, because we've already stated in verse 14 that when the Christian dies, that they go with God, they're with him, and they are in Jesus, and they're coming back with Jesus in the clouds in the rapture. So when it says there that the dead in Christ rise first, it simply means in total context and with the New Testament because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's right. It simply is telling us that a person who's died in Christ, they're already there. They've already gone. They rise first. And then we are alive when Jesus comes back in the clouds. Then we go too. Now, I want you to look back at verse 16 because there's something I want to point out there that's very important. Or maybe not important. It's just interesting to me as a Bible teacher. Notice the words there at the rapture. There's a shout, there's a voice, and there's a trumpet. There's three sounds there. Now, I want you to think about this because I've got some curious thoughts. Anybody want to know my curious thoughts on this? If you don't want to know, I can just move on. Who wants to know? Okay, good. At least I got seven of you. Okay. There's a shout, there's a voice, there's a trumpet. When I stood in my neighborhood, as an elementary schooler, and I heard that whistle go off, something big's coming. That was a loud noise you could hear everywhere. 
It seems to me that at the moment of the rapture, when the church people are taken, and I'm talking Christians, not people say, well, I believe there's a God. And cut it right there. Jesus has to be your Savior. There, that we will hear a shout, a voice, and a trumpet. It's going to be loud. We're going to hear it. But my question is this. Will the rest of the world that is not saved, will they hear it? Now, if you're a serious Bible student, if you're not, then don't bother writing it down. But if you are, write these two verses down for your own personal study later on. I'm going to give them to you. Write down Acts chapter 9 and verse 7. And then write down Acts chapter 22 and verse 9. Acts 9 verse 7 and then Acts 22 and verse 9. These two sections talk about Paul's conversion. And in his conversion, when Jesus appears to him, it says that he hears a loud noise, a loud sound. But in the other part of the second part of those verses, it says, Paul said this. He said, I understood the words, but no one else understood the words. In other words, all the people that were there when they heard the loud sound, it was just loud noise to them. But what Paul, what everybody thought was loud noise, Paul heard the words of Jesus when he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I take that and I speculate in my mind, I can't completely prove it. Is it possible, I'm just asking you, is it possible that if the rapture happened in our lifetime, that you and I would hear the words of Jesus of Revelation 4, come up here and the rest of the world would just hear noise? Is that possible? I think it's highly possible. I think it's highly possible because there will be a shout, there will be a voice, and there will be a trumpet, and it will be loud. Now, let me read verse 17 so I can finish off this particular point. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. Notice the words caught up. Those are key. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Stop. Now I'm going to say this every time we get there so you understand. When Jesus comes in the rapture to take the church people, that begins the tribulation, seven years. He comes in the clouds. He never puts his foot on earth. At the end of the seven years, he comes in the second coming, but there he comes and he plants his feet on planet earth. He'll plant his feet right where he took off from, Acts chapter 1, the Mount of Olives. Some of you have stood there with me on the Mount of Olives. Some of you will stand there with me in 2022 when we go back again. So to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Okay. When it says caught up, some people are going to say to you or to me, well, there's no word rapture there, and they're right. But we get our word from the Latin rapturo, rapture, and we take that in the New Testament. Greek are the words caught up. It means in the Greek to seize, to snatch. It means Jesus is going to come back. He's going to snatch us off planet earth. And so we get it from the Latin. We will be raptured. So if you don't want to call it rapture, fine. Call it the great snatching away. Whatever you want to call it, it is coming. It is coming. Now, that leads to point two, and that is this. The rapture is going to be a quick change. Point two, it's going to be a quick change. Now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you if you didn't bring your Bible or your app. Now, verse 51, 52, he's talking about rapture again. Watch this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. I'm going to read two verses and I'm going to define things. 
We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So, first off, we know that only the Christians are going. But we also know that we're going to be changed. Now, I need to tell you something. Just so we we're clear on this, because there's just so much ambiguity in America right now when it comes to religion and things. Everybody's a Christian, and if they have the name Reverend in front of them, they're, don't buy that stuff too often, okay? Only the followers of Christ are going. Now, my parents, my dad died in 1990, my mother died in 2002. But my parents were season ticket holders. i got to make sure I get the names right because there's so many names to it. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Catella Street, Orange Thorpe Avenue, whatever you want to call them, you know. There's so many names on to them. It's changed so many times. But in 1977, they bought season tickets. It was great. I was 21 years old, man. I'd go to the Angel Game anytime I wanted to. Great seats. So uh, my parents passed. My brother took them over, my brother Steve. He let go of them, I think, four years ago. So we had them about 40 years. It was a fun ride. I'd go to the games. You knew everyone there because they're all season ticket holders. You knew who they were. The ushers knew who the regulars were. But every so often, I would have fun with something just by observation. There would be about two or four empty chairs, and we know who they belong to. And I'm waiting to see if they're going to show up, because if they don't show up, what's going to happen? Somebody up there, way up in the upper deck, who paid a buck for their seat, is going to come down and try to sneak in that chair. How many, how many of you ever done that before? Raise your hand, be honest. Get it on camera right now. Okay, I've done it too, so I'm not... But I sat in my seat there, and I waited to see because the ushers know who the regulars are. They see them there all the time, so I'm just watching. It's more, it's more fun than watching the game now. And here comes the usher. He goes, sir, can I see your tickets? And they're caught. So they don't even argue it. They just get up, and they leave, and I'm like, that was awesome. <laughs> but here's the thing. They didn't have a ticket. It's not their seat. They don't get to sit there. That's the same thing with the Christian church. Jesus said, a thief tries to go up another way. They're not going. They're not going to make it in. You can't just say, well, I believe there's a God. Not enough. You've got to be a follower of Christ. You've got to place your faith in Him as your Lord, Messiah, Savior, God. Now, Jesus tells a great story. And, and I, want, that's why I want to make this clear. Jesus tells a story about a king. And the king's son is going to get married. Matthew 22. And he sends out invitations to all of his buddies, all the nobles, everybody. Not one of them wants to go to the wedding. How would you feel if nobody wanted to come to your kid's wedding? All your friends. Do you know what Jesus does? He says, forget those guys. Go invite anybody who wants to show up to the wedding. And that's true of the kingdom of God. Anybody's welcome who wants Jesus. So they go send out the invitations. And people, the place is packed. Jesus, or I should say, the king walks into the room. And he sees everyone there. And there's one man sitting there, and he's not wearing the right, the proper wedding clothing. The king points him out, and he says, Uh-oh, whoa, 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 whoa. How'd you get in here? You shouldn't be here. Get that guy 
He's not dressed right. Get him, throw him out into outer darkness where there's weeping, gnashing of teeth. It's a picture of being cast into hell. Now, what's the big deal? Well, you got to go back to the custom of the day because in 2020, we don't understand the custom to understand what Jesus is saying. So you got to go back to what it meant to the original hearers. Otherwise, you have heresy. You have lies. You speak lies unless you know what it meant. Then you can take it to the application bridge to the present. Well, the thing was this. Back when a king would throw a wedding for his son, the king was responsible to give everyone the wedding clothing for their, for if they were invited to the wedding. They had to wear the clothing the king provided. That man chose to say, I don't need the king's clothes. I can just go in whatever I want to wear. And so he gets booted. And that's a great picture. Jesus tells that story. He's telling us this. That just because a person says, well, I believe in God. No. Or when people say, well, I believe good works, not good enough. And by the way, if you think good works is going to make it to heaven, I, my question is, how many good works is enough? How much is enough? It's an unanswerable question. How good is good enough? You know, you, you, you can't answer the question. And I like, I like the, the statement, and I heard this from Ravi Zacharias, who passed away about three, four weeks ago. He makes a statement. He says, you know, people will tell you that all religions are fundamentally the same and superficially, and superficially different. He goes on to say, and that's not true. All religions are fundamentally different and at best superficially uh, the same. And the difference between Christianity and all other religions that are out there is this. They all say you can work your way and do good deeds to get to whatever God or heaven they believe in, but you never know how much is enough. Jesus, on the other hand, Christianity says you can't work your way there. God had to come down to you. Now, back to the man in the wedding not wearing the clothes. God, in the form of Jesus Christ, had to come to you and I. And through his death on the cross and his blood shed, when we put our faith in him, we take on his clothing. We take on the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And now, because of that, we are right before God. Any amens on that one? Did I make myself clear? Yes or no? Okay, so good. So now you understand that. So that's how you get in. Now, back to the quick change. So I read those verses. I want to point out to you a few, three or four verses there. He says in verse 51 of 1 Corinthians, mystery. This is a mystery. In other words, I've never shared this before. Corinthians is written about 51, 52 AD, about less than 20, to, less than 20 years after the resurrection as he's writing to the Corinthians. He says, uh, it's a mystery. I'm going to tell you something that I've never told you before, this rapture deal. And then he says, you'll be changed. Uh, meaning, and he defines it by saying, the corruption is going to put on incorruption. I like that. I like it a lot. How many of you, um, how many of you woke up, how many of you take any medication for your body at all? I'll put my feet and my hands and everything. Thank you for some, okay. How many of you woke up with an achy? You're just, oh man, I'm old. How many wake up like that every day? Okay, good. Praise the Lord. This should, it just means you're old. Okay. How many of you, if you do a lot of yard work one day, the next day you can't even move? Is that the worst or what? The gym opened up on Friday. I went. I said, I'm back, baby. And I feel like yelling that every time I go back into anywhere I'm back. Um, I, I haven't gone into Marshalls yet because the line's too long. But I'm tempted, I told Olivia, I go, I'm tempted when I walk in, I'm going to go, I'm back, baby! But I may not do that because they may think I'm crazy, carrying me off local pastor nuts inside marshals. You know, I don't want those headlines. But you, you're going to be changed. You're going to be different, okay? And all those aches and pains gone. Now, here's the deal. Here's what I like. 
What will our incorruptible body look like and feel like? Wait. 1 John 3, 2. Here's what John, one of the 12 original disciples says. He says, Beloved, he's talking to us Christians, now we are children of God, and it has not yet not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he We're going to be just like Jesus in whatever his resurrected body could do. Now, let me tell you a few things that body could do. We, could, we read about it. Question, could Jesus walk through walls? Yeah. When G, could Jesus move from the physical dimension to the spiritual dimension and back? Could Jesus ascend on that, that day and fly through the air? Yeah. Let me tell you something. What it tells us in that resurrected body is that Jesus could move through multiple dimensions. You ever thought about that? Let me tell you something he said. This is a possibility. One day he said, the, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Is it possible? Is it possible that heaven exists in a different dimension but in the same space we occupy right now? It's possible. I'm not saying that's for sure, but it's possible. And so Jesus could move through multiple dimensions. He could ascend. And so when I get that new body, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to fly over your head, man, just to show you. But it's going to be so cool, so unique. It's not done there. Let's see how fast it's going to happen. He also says that this change is going to be in a moment. The rapture is going to be in a moment. Now, that was pretty fast. I'm pretty quick still for an older guy, right? Say yes. Okay, but it's going to be faster than that. The word moment, the one that Paul used there, the Greek word, you know what it is? Adam, not A-D-A-M. It's Adam, A-T-O-M. The little Adam. It, the word means undivided. It means it's such a minuscule amount of time that you could not slice it any smaller. And so the rapture, it's going to happen so fast, faster than that, and in the blink of an eye. Everybody blink their eye right now, blink. You blink your eye in one-third of a second. The rapture is going to happen faster than that. In a moment, you're going to change. And then the corruptible is going to put on the incorruptible. How many of you, like me, love cake, candy, and soda? I love that stuff. I will never, I tell people, I'll never be able to break that addiction. I could get off Coca-Cola for a while, but I know I'm going to come back to my master. I just know that, okay? It's the elixir of God, whatever you want to call it. But you know, as I get older, it's like, oh, God, I've got to watch my... How many like donuts? Isn't it? Don't, how many of us older wish you could go... How many of us older feel like life is wasted on youth? It's like they get to eat like 12 donuts, and you eat one, and it's like, well, here we go. Man, when I get to heaven, there better be donuts in my new incorruptible body. And I'm going to have so much... So many, don't, don't, where is that fountain of Coke, cherry Coca-Cola? Because I'm going to camp right there, and then I'm going to have to do it. It's going to be awesome. And you know what? We're all going to have these incorruptible bodies, no matter what we We're going to look good. How many want to look good? I'm going to look good, man. Now, point three, and that's this. No one knows the day, so be ready. No one knows the day, so be ready. Now, let me give you two Jesus statements, then a Paul statement. Look at Matthew 24, and verse 36 says this. Jesus said, But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven. Nor the Son, but the Father alone. 
Let me tell you something. You're going to run into somebody maybe once in your lifetime. You're going to hear somebody say somewhere that they have figured out what day Jesus is coming back in the rapture for his church. Has anyone ever heard that stuff before? Do not buy into it. I've had people tell me that here and there. They figured it out. Guess what? That date comes and that date goes. If you're an older Christian like me, been around a while, you might remember a book back in the early 80s. It was titled 88 Reasons for the Rapture in 1988. Well, in 1988 came, and I guess there weren't enough reasons, and Jesus didn't come back. Don't buy into it. Don't buy into it whatsoever. Nobody knows because Jesus said so. But here's what you got to do since you don't know. The next verse, verse 42 of Matthew 24, says this. Therefore, Jesus is saying, be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Paul adds this. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Okay, now, Jesus will come like a thief. Now, I was a youth pastor to students back in the late 80s. And how many of you have ever seen, you got to be older to know this, the scene the old movies, A Thief in the Night or Distant Thunder? Has anyone ever seen those? If you watch them now, they're so corny. But back in the day, it was all about the rapture. And man, we used to show those once a year in our youth group to students. You want to get students saved into heaven out of fear right away? Man, you show those movies. They're all running the altar, man. Because you make them think the rapture's coming that night. It was awesome. Of course, it wears off because it's all emotional. But it'll come like a thief. Now here's the next question then. How many of you, like me, have ever had your home broken into? Raise your hand. I'm just curious. It's a weird feeling to come home and to see that your home is broken into. Is it not? It's just weird. Somebody's been in my home. I walked in there, my wife and I, Things are missing. Oh, they, took, they took some of our valuable stuff like a VCR. <laughs> this big front top loader, we're happening. But they broke through a back window. They pried it open. They got it open. They took my wife's jewelry, some of her jewelry. Um, back in the 80s, uh, gold nugget rings were popular. Remember, Bogart, remember you spent all your money there in the store in Bethlehem? Remember that? For your wife, because she kept loading up more and more. And I wanted to be your son so I could get stuff too. In that store, I bought a gold nugget ring back in 1985. They stole that. But here's the thing about that thief. That thief was rude. You know why? This is before email, before cell phones, text messaging. You know, he never texted me to tell you he was coming. He never called me. He never did that. To say, hey, I'm coming about this time. I thought, okay, you could tell me. I could leave out cookies. Now you say, come on, you know, you're right. Thieves never tell you. It's the element of surprise. You never know. You don't know when Jesus is coming. You could see the signs of the times, but you don't know the exact moment. No one does. You know where my wife and I were when the thief came? It was Sunday morning. Guess where we were? We are in church. We were ready. In case the thief in the night came, we were ready. We're followers of Christ. 
dedicated to Christ. Just be ready. Be on the alert. See, some of you have alarm systems in your home. Some of you got guns loaded in the nightstand, don't you? If that thief comes to the door, you're ready for that guy. So you can come on in, guy. Meet Smith and Wesson. You know, whatever. But you're ready. When it comes to your salvation, you better be ready. When it comes to the rapture, you better be ready. Now, the fourth point is this. The Christian's exit is the Antichrist's entrance. The Christian exit is the Antichrist's entrance. Now, I want to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to read about 7, 8 verses. 2 Thessalonians 2. If you're in 1 Corinthians, just go to your right. So many letters. 2 Thessalonians 2. Now, there's a lot I could say about these verses, but I need to focus on one element, and we'll be back and forth in these verses throughout the series. But when the Christian exit, the Antichrist enters. Watch verse 3 now. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness has revealed the son of destruction. There's going to be this great apostasy right before the rapture of the church. When there's a massive falling away from God, I mean, we see these things now. I can't say that's exactly, we're not, I can't say we're there yet, but we see these things. You know, in our world right now, in third world countries, there's a massive outpouring of God, and they're getting saved in third world countries by the boatloads. But not in America. We're too smart for that. We don't need God anymore. We're on dangerous ground in America. We're setting ourselves up for the great apostasy. It says that this man of lawlessness, the Antichrist is called the man of lawlessness. We're going to see that word lawlessness about three times in these verses. That's a big statement. Because later on in the series, you're going to see that Daniel, the writer in the Old Testament, he says the Antichrist, one of his MOs is, he's going to change the laws. Let me just speak to you from the heart for just for a second before I continue. I'm, I'm working on this series for later on. I don't know what I'm going to call it. I thought I was going to call it Foundations, but then some of the staff said I already did a series called Foundations. I, I don't remember. So I'll, I'll figure something. But you look around now, and for decades now, little by little by little, they are redefining everything in America. They are redefining what marriage is. They are redefining what family is. They are redefining what it means to be human. You may not think that, but it, oh, it is so. It just makes so much sense to me. The Antichrist will come in and he'll change the laws. Because the laws are already being changed. What used to be sin in America, now they're saying that's good. 
It's changing and has changed. They're, they're pulling back all the definitions that God placed and they're redefining everything and they think this is great. No. Antichrist will walk in, he'll continue the process. He'll change the laws. Now let's read on about this guy. Verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. I've told you before that he will make a covenant with Israel. They'll build a temple, but he'll walk in himself and say, I am God, worship me. And they'll know they've been had and it sets and the last three and a half years is all hell breaks loose on earth. So he's going to declare himself God in that temple. Verse 5. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? In other words, Paul is saying, remember when I was hanging out with you guys? I told you about this stuff. Now I'm writing it to you. Verse 6. And you know, he's saying, remember what we talked about? You know what, say the word, restrains him. What restrains him now? Who is him? Him is the Antichrist. You know what restrains him now? So that in his time, he will be revealed. Oh, something's holding him back. Something is keeping him from being revealed on earth. Now, I personally believe the Antichrist could be alive right now on earth. He does not know he's the Antichrist. He will become the Antichrist at a certain moment when a demon inhabits him. I can prove that biblically. He will rise up to the ranks. He's not coming through America, guys. He's coming through, more than likely, the European Union. It'll be a ten-nation confederacy when he takes power there. Scary part? Teaser for the future in the series? There's some pretty strong language describing a nation that sounds like America in Revelation. But economically, they go down in, in a day crashes. We crash. We'll talk about that later on. The world will be in chaos. Antichrist will step on the scene. Read on. Verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So something has to be removed, the restrainer, so that the Antichrist comes in. Verse 8. Then that lawless one, there it is again, he's lawless. And the word lawless, lawlessness means the inability to even obey any laws at all. It's a literal idea, that word. Will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. Never think that Jesus is, is not more powerful than Satan and the Antichrist. Because Jesus comes on the scene, slays them at a certain moment. And bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Of his coming, boom, bang, they're done. That is, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. He will be Satan's son. Okay, now, <clears throat> something standing in the way of the Antichrist that's got to be taken out of the way for the Antichrist to appear, to come on the scene and for the world to embrace him. Guess who it is? It's the Christians. Let me tell you. I remember in junior high, late 60s, we were the first generation of people that could actually watch a war on TV every night on the news. It was the Vietnam War. And every night, you'd watch it. They'd, 
They'd be out there filming it. Every, they'd show it on the news. They were giving you the totals of how many Americans have died in that war. Every night, every night, every night. I remember it. And then I got into high school, and the war was still going. And then I got scared. Because I remember thinking, oh my gosh, what if this war is still going when I turn 18? Because back then, you had to sign up for the draft. So it was nerve-wracking. And then in my senior year of high school, they abolished the draft. I remember in the fall. And I was like, But those of you who are older like me and some of you who follow history and maybe you learned in school, you've seen the images. When America pulled out, if you remember, the embassy there, people were trying to get in to get away from what was coming. South Vietnamese were trying to get on American ships to get out. I remember the aircraft carrier there and they pushed the helicopter over the side. Remember those images? It's crazy. We were pulling out. And they knew that once we pulled out, here come the North Vietnamese, whom we had been fighting. They were backed by the communist, communist China. And once we left, they just swooped in, and they took over South Vietnam in a heartbeat. There was nothing to restrain any longer. We were the restrainers. And once we were gone, it was over for them. Listen, guys, whether in my lifetime, my kids' lifetime, my grandkids' lifetime, because you see the signs of the times. Never, ever, ever, ever underestimate the importance and the value of the local church on earth. We're the restrainers. If you think it's hell on earth right now, this is nothing compared to what it's going to be like when the church is taken out of the way. When the Christians are gone. There will be nothing to hold anything back. It will be pure evil, plus the judgments of God upon a world that rejected Him. It will be insane. Christian, everywhere you go, Everywhere you walk, Christian, you have the Spirit of God in you. The devil trembles when you walk in a room. You don't know that, but he does. Because you could possibly speak about Jesus. See, you're the restrainer. You're the one. Never underestimate the importance of the local church. You know, I look at everything right now, and I I have some pretty strong opinions on things. But I'm going to give you one of my strong opinions. I am not a conspiracy theorist. I will never be because they end up being looking ridiculous for the most part. And I'm not going to be that person. But if you think about just what's going on right now, and we can only allow so many people in a sanctuary, and we can't have any, you know, we can't have children's church, and our older people are afraid to come because, you know, fear is a powerful thing. But what's going on, one of the things that I fear that I think might happen through all this thing right now, with everything online, is that there's plenty of us who used to come to church who will only now transition to only watching church on television. When everything gets back to normal, you're not going to come back. 
You're going to settle into this thing the way it is right now. And you're going to miss fellowship and you're going to miss live worship. You've already started to make those determinations in your mind. When it is fellowship and serving, those two things, they create the fastest growth track spiritually in a person's life. I think Satan is no fool. And he will use these things any way he can to try to destroy the church of the living God. Any amens? And we better be careful with that one right there. We are the restrainers. We're the ones. We hold him back. But when we're gone and raptured, he's coming. In Genesis 18 and 19, you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? That was a bad place. It reminds me of America. You're saying, come on. No, no, no. It really does. Everything that's going on there, that's America right now. And so God is going to rain down fire and brimstone and destroy that place. Judgment's coming because he's given them time. They will not repent. Abraham is pleading with God. He's saying, God, no, no. If I can find 50, 50 righteous people in that big city, will you spare it? God says, okay, I'll spare it if there's 50 righteous. Then Abraham says, okay, wait, you know what? That's maybe too many. What if we can, what if 40? God says, okay, 40. And then Abraham keeps like, whittling away at God and finds, God, if, okay, if we can find 10, if we can find 10 righteous, will you spare it? God goes, okay, if there's 10 righteous in there, we'll spare it. Could they find 10? They found Lot, Abraham's nephew, righteous man. And they saved him. His wife came with him, but she turned back. How many Christians have turned back? And we know what happened to her. And once Lot is taken out of the way, fire and brimstone come down. Once Noah is put in the ark, here comes the rain. God always delivers his people from massive judgment upon earth. And the rapture is the same detail. He will deliver the Christians, whether my lifetime, my kids' lifetime, my grandchildren's lifetime, he will deliver the Christians. But I wouldn't play. You're not a Christian? I wouldn't play. You could say, well, I've heard this for so long. You know that that's what Peter said in the epistles of the New Testament? He said, some of you are saying, oh, you've been saying this for a long time. And then he compares it to Noah and the ark. He goes, but eventually the rain came, didn't it? So you can play all you want. I wouldn't play. I'd get my life right with Jesus Christ. Settle it once and for all. And it doesn't matter what your friends think. Because your friend's not going to stand next to you on the day of judgment. You're going to be by yourself. And you can sit there and say, well, you know, hell's going to be a party place. <laughs> oh, really? No, it really isn't. Because Jesus is the God of hell too. Satan isn't. Satan's going to be bound. So let's get it right. Jamie's trying to scare me. I'll do whatever I can to get you into Jesus. I don't care. You accuse me of whatever you want. I'm just telling you the truth. So here's what I want to do. Those of you at home, those of you here, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, you've never become a Christian. And what I mean is you've never become a follower of Christ. No ambiguity at all. You're just a follower of Christ now. Not, oh, I believe there's a God. No, no, no. A follower of Christ. Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. 
then if you've never made your proclamation of faith in him, maybe today's the day. Or maybe you backslid. You just walked away. You're like Lot's wife. You turn back. And it's time to, let's get it right now. Let's, let's get it right. Whether you're at home or you're here. So here's what I want to do. I want you to close your eyes, everybody. Everybody close your eyes. Christians, I want you to pray. This morning, if you're in this room or you're at home, and you've never put your faith in Jesus, and you'd like to, you say, okay, I'm ready for this step. Great. Or if you backslid and you're going to come back to Christ, great. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to have you repeat the prayer. Everyone here in this room is going to repeat it in a second. But if you'd like to put your faith in Christ or rededicate your life, I want you in this room, if that's you, with your eyes closed, I want you right now to open your eyes, if that's you I'm talking to, and look up at me. When our eyes meet, you can close them. But do it right now. First, I'm going to look at those of you at home. I see you. Good. Now I'm going to look in the room. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Now repeat this prayer out loud after me here in this room and those of you at home. And everybody in this room, say it with them. Here we go. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Thank you for dying in my place, taking my sins upon your body, rising from the dead to give me new life. Today, I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. I become a follower of Christ. Now let me pray. God, I pray for everyone who looked up, those at home. Follow him. Get yourself a Bible, a modern translation that you can understand. Start reading just in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Have a Christian show you where those are at. Stay there for about six months so you understand and grow and know about Jesus Christ. Stay in fellowship, in church. Share with others the decision you made. Don't keep it a secret. If you start off as a secret, you're going to stay a secret. Tell somebody. Nudge somebody. And then watch what God does in your life. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you that all of heaven rejoices over anyone who repents and comes to you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say, Amen. amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.